Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health. My name is Tiasha Zaitz and I am a healthcare journalist of a Slovenian monthly magazine for doctors and pharmacists, Medicine Today. This podcast is dedicated to digital health, healthcare systems and bringing you approaches to innovation from different countries. So far, we've talked about Sweden, we've talked about Switzerland, US, UK, and the last episode was dedicated to India. India seems like a potential M-Health paradise because it's now the second largest smartphone market. 1.3 billion people live in the country and by 2019, a third of the population is supposed to own a smartphone. So... In this episode, we're staying in India for a bit longer. I talked to Sachin Gaur, a researcher and entrepreneur in the space of mobile and internet solutions. After working and studying in Finland and Estonia, he returned to India and co-founded Innovatio Kuris, a company focused on connecting healthcare experts and looking at global innovation models and lean management processes to deliver healthcare at an optimum cost. We talked about two things, healthcare innovation and cybersecurity. So if you're not that interested in healthcare in India, skip the first 20 minutes. Just before we start, a quick invitation. Do subscribe to the podcast, rate it in iTunes, write a review to my email, tjasa.zajc at finance.si. Or write me on Twitter, where you can find me under at ZAJCTJASA. All this really helps other people find the podcast as well. Thank you. I want to talk about two things with you. One is cybersecurity in healthcare, uh, which is something that you specialized in. And the second one is the state of digital health in India. Uh, for starters, how would you say digital health can help in India? Uh, 70% of the population lives in the rural area where distances are longer. So it might take you even a day to reach some part of the country while in the urban area you might reach within an hour. So access becomes a huge issue when it comes to urban versus rural. Whereas on the flip side of it, the, the healthcare facilities, 80% of them are in urban areas and 20% of them are in the rural areas. 70% of the population has 20% of the facilities. 30% of the population has 80% of the facilities. And not only that, if you check the statistics uh, of healthcare personnel per, per people, the average is 0.7 doctors per thousand people, which is like 20% of the average in Europe. People are not able to appreciate the scale of the country like India. So when we are talking about Estonia, 1.3 million people. When we are talking about India, that's 1.3 billion people. Thousand Estonia. Kind of hard to imagine. I mean, India is, in terms of population, basically twice the size of Europe. How could you even 
organize a healthcare system for the whole country? Is it even reasonable to even think about that since uh, the country is divided into different regions, different states? And I guess that's where you should start when you try to organize the system. Do you think it's even reasonable to have a national system in a country as big as that? I mean, India is not a new country for that matter, or it's not that we are starting today. It has been existing for thousands of years, I mean, in terms of the human civilization. Health sector is a state subject in India, meaning where, uh, you know, the national level government plays a role is putting together broadly two kind of activities. One is public health, mm -hmm. meaning vaccination programs or uh, dealing with epidemics. And the second is creating super specialized institutes for care. So one thing that I can tell you with great confidence that Indian doctors are very, very good. And many also study abroad, right? So when you, when you spend your time in a country like Finland, the entire healthcare system is public. You know, there's very little scope for a private entity to operate. Whereas from a GDP perspective, in India, we spend around 3 to 4% of our money on healthcare which is half as much as the average in Europe. That's one of the things I really wanted to talk about because uh, around 70% of uh, money spent on healthcare is out of pocket. So basically people have to pay for themselves, which is quite a challenge knowing the, the amount of poor population India has. What do you think is the proportion of things that would have to change on a systemic level compared to the digital level. So digital uh, health can help to a certain extent, but I think the big problem when it comes to healthcare is that the system is not in place yet because you have many very good uh, uh, institutions, but they are private. So the poor population is very much uh, untreated. So there are two uh, uh, organizations that you should know when you talk about India and its healthcare system. One is Arvind Eye Care, which is an eye care started, you know, uh, somewhere in the south of India, especially Madurai region. And the doctor who started, he started with an 11-bed hospital after retiring from a medical school. So mm -hmm. he wanted to bring down the cost of healthcare. Today... Since 1993, 150,000 students in Harvard Business School have read that case study about Arvind Eye Care. But not many Indian people know about it. That's the unfortunate part that they have treated uh, more than tens of millions mm -hmm. of patients, right? And two-thirds of the patients they treat for free and they bring the money to treatment because one-third of them are paying. But this phenomenal institute is the world's largest eye care institute in there, out there. So the doctors at Arvind, they looked at problem of delivering healthcare as an efficiency problem. They tried to look at it as a lean management problem. And they did solve it that today everybody in the world respects that institute, that there are case studies written about it from Harvard to Oxford. And it's phenomenal. The second is Dr. Devi Shetty from Narayan Hridalya. He has brought down the cost of heart surgery to $800. It's so impressive that 
because this doctor used to work in the NHS UK. Every year they have delegations from all over the world who come to study how come this doctor is able to make at a systematic level the heart care so cheap. So how widespread are these two cases um, in the country? Not many people know about these cases in India as India is a big country. Mm-hmm. Both of these case studies are down south. One in mm-hmm. Bangalore and one in the uh, Tamil Nadu. Such things are not replicable at the scale that they have done because it requires a, a, a serious understanding of the context. And both of these cases, they use the local population, you know, train them. So cheaper wages was an important criteria. So I cannot do an Arvind eye care in Finland, for example. But you don't even need Finland because India is so big that, you know, just expanding one good use case uh, throughout the Indian market would already be a huge success. Around 20 kilometers from my office, there is a small eye care hospital where they treat around 20,000 patients. Uh, so compared to Arvind, say it is much smaller, but it is exactly the same model. So two third are treated for free, one third pays for the uh, the rest of the two third, and it's a charitable hospital. So there are many such examples, you know, where uh, doctors who are very passionate, not very commercially driven, have seen healthcare as an efficiency problem. I mean, healthcare delivery, and really analyzed it systematically that how can we bring down the cost. Digital comes into picture, for example, Devi Shetty makes excellent presentations. So, for example, cardiac, heart disease, right? So, some of these patients need a good follow-up for many years, you know, after post-treatment, right? So, if they have to come and visit the hospital, it takes their money, it takes their time. In that case, can that hospital train some of the volunteers and and create an e-infrastructure or a digital infrastructure and provide that post-treatment support. So that saves the patient, uh, you know, the money and the time which requires to visit the hospital. Yes, uh, that's true. There's a lot of potential when it comes to that because India has seen the highest growth of internet penetration. There's a lot of IT companies. And also, if you look at the statistics about uh, smartphones, by 2019, close to 430 million people are supposed to have them, which is a really good uh, base for uh, all kinds of telemedical solutions. So I will I will also give you another very interesting point, which uh, you know you might not see in Europe. When we are talking about really poor people and very very poor people, uh, healthcare can be such a big setback in their life. So if they have a big disease like heart or whatever, they might be running out of money just by one serious operation. So they really need insurance. There is no question that somebody who makes, say, a a euro or two euro a day, entire lifetime savings is gone and they might be in debt. Where government of India, our current prime minister, is proposing that, hey, you make, you start with opening a bank account. I give you a bank account, which is really, uh, you know, uh, zero balance bank account. And the moment you open that bank account and you put even uh, like two euros in it, a month, I give you an insurance of 2000 euros. So that is a life saving uh, instrument. 
right mm-hmm. so which is a financial instrument so that's where digital is very important how can we take banking to the people who are unbanked how can mm-hmm. we take insurance to the people who are not covered right so that's imagine right. now you are talking about smartphones but let me say not just smartphones regular phones and i am connected to a poor person because he has a phone and i have connected that person to the bank i have connected that person to insurance now there is an incident which happens right can government transfer money to this person directly yes if the person is connected to the digital world the government can transfer money without any middleman so there used to be a statistic say 20 years back when government of india started implementing some scheme when 100 rupees will start from the top only 5 rupees really reach to the ground so the mm-hmm. 95 rupees were lost in the system because of corruption because of inefficiency when you bring in digital systems the biggest thing you bring is transparency so mm-hmm. if there is a, a a villager named tiasa and i want to transfer money as government because she needs treatment that money can reach as it is to her that's the beauty of uh, you know a connected world or a digital world that the money is not leaked in the system in the process africa has plenty of good examples in terms of um, mobile banking development exactly uh, mpesa right mhm exactly yeah yeah we have the same company vodafone we have many other examples so i don't want to name companies here but what i'm trying to show you that what regions like africa what regions like asia especially india when we are talking about large populations we need systems which are scalable which are transparent mm-hmm. and that's where digital is the big opportunity in terms of affordability when you say india and when you think 1.3 billion people that's a lot and it seems promising from a startup point of view thinking about the size of the market but then the next problem is that as you've mentioned a lot of population lives on 1 to 2 dollars euros uh, per day what would you say is the affordable uh, amount of money they could use for a subscription because plenty of m health apps are based on subscriptions uh, countries like india uh, there was a habit of people that uh, when they want to call somebody they would give a missed call like you know you call the person and cut it before he or she can pick it up that would give a signal to the other person that hey you know somebody who doesn't have the money wants to be called and hence you have a missed call and then you call back right okay. so so there was a lady who came to india from outside and she saw this habit and she made a, a startup out of it so none of us saw it you know it takes a foreigner often in india to spot uh, you know what is a what is a habit that we can monetize so she built a business known as zip dial where she started connected connecting banks and other businesses that an indian uh typically would give a miss call and then they could know their balance in the account mm-hmm. without going to the atm so it doesn't require internet it the customer is not spending money and she sold this startup for 10 million dollars to twitter 
to me it's an amazing case study where you come to a culture you understand the habit and then you build your product around it we need to understand what is the purchase behavior so so for example many people here in india companies they typically come and say like a rupee a day 2 rupees a day 3 rupees a day or 5 rupees a month kind of subscription plans which so how much is that in dollars yeah so that is i am talking about like 10 cents 5 cents kind of model per day so if you have 100 million people on such a service where you are making 10 cents a person that that's still 10 million dollars a month so first thing we need to understand is the volume second thing we need to understand is the appetite of the people if anything happens below a dollar can reach much farther you lived in finland and in estonia what perspective did that give to you in terms of healthcare for example finland as i said the entire uh, you know health system is public so is in estonia and what is the difference between estonia and finland so finland is a rich country compared to estonia so estonia is very frugal the mm-hmm. second big difference between estonia and finland is estonia got its independence in 1992 so they didn't had any legacy technology so it was very easy for them to build something new right so some of my professors were involved in building the internet voting no other country in the world has internet voting so estonians vote on internet they have a chip card which provides them public key cryptography so you can use your laptop you can put your card in it and open the browser and vote in uh-huh. india organizing you know elections takes lot of resources because it's a big country imagine we could vote on internet although we don't have internet for everyone that's another reality but what do you learn from estonia is that when you are new into the technology space you uh-huh. don't have to use old technology you can directly move to the latest so in finland when they want to implement e health at the same level what estonia has uh, estonia spent less than 10 million dollars to do that finland has spent 450 million dollars doing that but they are still not yet there as many other developed countries exactly so so that's the big deal you know so why india became so successful when it comes to mobile telephony because we entered telecom very late so it was very fast that you know people could buy mobile phones and you know all that happened you know in last 20 25 years and mm-hmm. we we have more than 1 billion phones in this country putting a landline based connection would never have been possible in the same amount of time so when you join the technology race slower than others you always have the advantage to buy latest another sure. advantage which estonia had over finland was that they didn't had money so when i say this is an advantage meaning when you are a big country you will invite big companies like microsoft oracle to build your system mm-hmm. so they will build expensive systems what estonians did they did they built it themselves so they mm-hmm. build it for 10 million dollars finland or a sweden is going to build it for half a billion dollar so that's a, a comparison you know you have in front of you so when i when i see you know uh, health systems for that matter so in india we often do things at a very last minute but when we do that we often surprise the world for example take our space program so there was this hollywood movie gravity or i don't know which one but the budget of that was 80 million dollars which was the same budget 
we had for our space program and what what are the current results of the space program so we were able to send our rocket to moon so imagine hollywood makes a movie which is fiction in 80 million dollars and mm-hmm. we make a rocket which goes to moon in 80 million dollars the mm-hmm. latest news which the indian space research agency made that they sent a rocket which parallelly launched some 140 plus satellites into the space nobody has ever done that in the world nobody when i belong to a country which joins something later i always have the advantage to learn from the mistakes of others true although you never really know what kind of problems you're going to face because every country is so different so it's never possible to really copy what others are doing because you always need to build it from the ground up like for example in india you may have an awesome penetration of internet and a lot of smartphones but that still doesn't change the fact that in rural areas there are simply no doctors or surgeons so you can do telemedicine for rehabilitation or aftercare but still uh, for the primary contact for the first contact you um, still have the big issue of how long will a patient have to travel to to reach a doctor or a medicine or a pharmacy so, so there is no there is no there is no denial about it we have all the problems in the world uh, we might be you know very uh, you know behind the others but especially when we talk about healthcare we are much better than most countries to give you a comparison us right they spend 18% of their gdp on health systems the us system is extremely expensive we mentioned in the beginning that india puts 4% of the gdp to healthcare range when it comes to developing countries is around 9 to 10% of the gdp but so us is expensive but also that economy is much larger than india so in absolute terms that is whole lot of money compared to india whereas indian government only spends 1% so what you heard from me about 4% uh, majority contribution is from the private players so we are not doing much in terms of the money but yes what we are getting in return i would say comparatively it's not bad we can do much better we are lagging behind in many things but we also would not want to become a us Your masters was on privacy issues in social media. So, what do you think uh, can social media bring to healthcare and by that I mean personal care for health from an individual perspective? You know, there are instances where uh, you know you can look at the social data and predict a lot about uh, you know the the person in the good way and the bad way for example some people say google knows more than uh, more about you than your spouse right mm-hmm. today because of the amount of uh, data we generate using our phones so i would say that privacy is a big deal you know in times to come or years to come mm-hmm. and and when it comes to healthcare particularly social media can offer at one place uh, what do you say emotional support to mm-hmm. people when people are suffering from long term diseases like cancer or others so they might join a, a what do you say a patient support group online mm-hmm. or similar activities where 
uh, where for example especially in indian setting let's say i go to a hospital and i am prescribed some surgery what is my way of knowing whether it is correct incorrect am i being diagnosed properly or not so i want a second opinion where do i get that second opinion where do i get to know where is a good doctor other than my own doctor who could look at my diagnosis critically so that's where social media can have lot of uh, you know positive support into the patient's life online health communities we did an episode on forums for health which are even better in terms of privacy and anonymity compared to social media such as facebook uh, so yeah there's still a lot of potential there i want to maybe talk a bit more about cybersecurity in healthcare People are very sensitive when it comes to their personal data uh, around health and this is also something that you specialize in right the cybersecurity internet crime is going from hobby to organized crime so i'm talking already about 2008 but now in 2017 from hobby crime to organized crime we have we have moved to nation states becoming cybersecurity criminals in that sense so mm-hmm. so today as a patient you know with my data in some cloud or some repository is it really safe who is after it so people say that when we have our genome data uploaded people mm-hmm. can actually if they get that data they can they can attack us in the real world with specialized knowledge for example i could know what surge, uh, what allergies or what uh, you know what kind of health issues tiasa has and let's say i am preparing for a more personalized attack so we are vulnerable in that sense uh, in terms of losing our data and there is no big company on this planet which has not seen attacks and have not compromised their customer data from linkedin to uh, google every mm-hmm. company has been compromised so nothing kind of uh, uh, guarantees that if my data is out there it is secure that's really scary yes it is so so i i would often say security is a mindset it's it's about me that how i'm treating my data but the problem is that it's getting more and more complicated for consumers gartner recently stated that uh, throughout the 20, 2020 95% of for example cloud security failures will be the customer's fault because people are still not very careful around their passwords they forget them they make them simple they don't change them so i think a lot of consumers are kind of counting on the legislation and the companies to take care of cybersecurity so what's your opinion are we being too careless about that yes I think so that you know uh, again I will go back to a country like Finland or Estonia which are way ahead uh, you know in not just in the health systems but their adoption of internet and and I would say that in a in a society or as a society we need to take responsibility we need to train citizens and make them aware of the risk otherwise you know if you just rely on a company with your data and you're not uh, present about the risk you might actually end up with a big mistake mm-hmm. so i would say that there are three kinds of risk you know we are running 
वन इज दैट वी एज एन इंडिविजुअल वी कैन डील विद इट द मोर अवेयर वी आर द बेटर प्रिपेयर वी आर सेकेंड इज एट एट अ सिस्टम लेवल वेन वी आर सेंग ओके वी हैव अ हॉस्पिटल आई नीड टू बी वरीड अबाउट द पेशेंट डेटा एंड ऑल ऑफ अ सडन आर रैंडसम वेयर कम्स टू माई हॉस्पिटल downloaded because of some of my staff's mistake and it has now totally encrypted the entire hospital data and now the ransomware is asking me to deposit $50000 in bitcoin what do i do so most of the hospitals in us who have seen millions of dollars being asked they have actually paid the ransom and it will happen more and more because if somebody sitting elsewhere in some other country is able to make money Uh, by uh, locking the systems of a hospital they will only do it more the solution is that the hospital should know that it is important data and if it is encrypted should should i have a backup copy yes i should have a backup copy i should make my staff aware what on what to click and what not to click you know because most of the time cyber security is very much like health sector like in health we have vector borne diseases like you know malaria comes through mosquito similarly a virus comes through a usb or an email so we need to know what usb we are putting into our computer or what email we are forwarding to our colleagues the third part is which is very intriguing which is the connected world when we are talking about iot so i just sent you a link on your skype where the us vice president dick cheney you know who was about to speak in a conference and they came to know that uh, Uh, there were two guys from al qaeda who were planning to stop his pacemaker remotely more for most people dick cheney would have just died naturally because his pacemaker stopped because every pacemaker has this bluetooth interface which is used for diagnosis data so their plan plan was to log into that you know connect with that communication interface and stop that pacemaker so later when they once they found out they removed that pacemaker's bluetooth interface uh, we are increasingly dependent on technologies which we don't understand exactly and, and and if they are going to be part of our day to day life from a fitbit to something like a sophisticated like a pacemaker i don't know who is logging into it you know who is getting access to my data so that's where countries uh, governments need to be more uh, present at a system level that what is the risk uh, a citizen is running i think europe is 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 much better in that way i would say compared to other uh, governments or organizations because they understand that a normal person will not be able to understand this risk so mm-hmm. we need to do something at a more legal level what we need at a systematic level is some kind of agencies at a local or a national level which are able to provide that trust to the citizen you're touching on three very important points here one is that when it comes to technology we tend to talk about the promises of their efficiency their seamlessness their usefulness their practicality for the patient on the second hand we have the issue of security so when the practicality can become a nightmare if somebody steals your data and then there's the third case of legislation which 
knowing the dangers of cyber breaches, it completely makes sense to have strict uh, legislation in place. But from the developer's point of view, this is exactly what some startups are struggling with or can even uh, die from because it's so complicated in the developed countries. That's why many see developing countries as a to-go market because uh, of lack of legislation. Yes, you are correct, but uh, it's it's also uh, quite realistic to say that uh, governments often do not understand technology. So this dialogue between uh, you know the government citizen and the the technology people uh, doesn't happen often in the mm-hmm. in the developing world. So the law has to do a lot of catch up. But I think uh, whenever there are major incidents. You know, especially security, not just to do with cyber security. Whenever there is an incident like a terrorist attack, they make all kind of funny laws. That's when even the genuine people suffer with visa and all those kind of things. So same goes for cyber security. Until unless we don't see major attacks, uh, the governments will not wake up. And when they will wake up, they will probably not understand the issue enough. And e- either they will just kill the business or they might make a very difficult to execute security audit and so and so forth. Do you have any health data in a digital form? Do you have any advice on first three things everyone should think about when it comes to protecting their own health data? I don't have much of my health data, but I do have fitness data. So I use for example, this step counting app, Google Fit, for example, and uh, uh, it does track my location and all that. So I'm quite concerned, you know, when it comes to privacy. Mm-hmm. So, so of course, uh, you know, I'm just considering or contemplating that uh, should I have a smartphone or not? Because, uh, you know, uh, to me, it's like being spied on uh, 24 by 7 with with a phone which uh, tells my location to someone you know i don't trust or i don't know right so so i would say that uh, uh, people don't go beyond default so first thing i would say is that whenever we are using a tool we should look at the default setting just to mm-hmm. give you an example i recently installed a, a app from microsoft where uh, it was supposed to, you know, give me more like a, uh, what do you say, Evernote kind of a functionality. And it took all my personal photographs to the cloud. I never wanted to do that. But mm-hmm. that was the default setting of the app. I lost 5 GB of my mobile data. I have to disable the 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 upload background data upload setting. So I think we need to be very conscious uh, when we are up, uh, installing an application, what is the default setting? My assumption is that 90% of the people don't change the default. Probably. <laughs> it's It takes some effort to do that. And sometimes it's complicated because some settings are inside the app, then other settings are in the settings of the phone. So you have to take time for that. You know, when we buy something at the grocery store, you have a very good labeling 
you know what is vegetarian what is non vegetarian so we need a very good labeling uh, in times to come for technology you know which tells people exactly that hey i am going to upload your data or hey i am going to do this to you or that to you we do install application and it does tell us you know that it will access our contact or photo but probably we don't understand the risk so government of india has made a app where any citizen can upload their documents like your uh, university degree or whatever you consider important and they call it digi locker like a digital safe locker uh, they invited somebody to give a talk about it and i was the next speaker coincidentally in my presentation i had a news where somebody has put an app which looks exactly like the digi locker app of government but it's a it's a private app and uh, the risk was on google play store that an ordinary citizen might download this other app and put all the secret documents to someone who just wants to steal it so when things like play store are run by a private company and government comes and launches their initiative how would a citizen know one from the other i mean this is the same problem we have in websites with phishing right when a website wants to pretend that it's your bank or it's some other important website and tries to steal your password the same thing can happen in app so mm health app coming from government versus coming from a criminal how do you differentiate between the two yeah it's scary it's uh, similar to losing a wallet you know if you lose a wallet then suddenly you feel completely naked because you know what data and everything you have there so what i'm saying is that you know in 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 the world we are living you know uh, so algor calls it the stalker economy so where people sell data so if i can your uh, you to give you give your data to someone like an m health app you don't know when and how they are going to contact you some people criticize insurance companies for example that they might use digital tools to really know whether this person is suffering from this disease or that disease and accordingly uh, you know hike the premium digital in that sense one has to be very careful who is asking your data and mm-hmm. why do they need it at first place a classical example again is there was this flashlight app which was very famous in and people realized that hey this is a flashlight app its only job is to switch on and off my flash but why does it need access to my contacts the other business model for the app maker was to collect the data and sell it people don't realize that we need to kind of create conversations dialogues all the apps or subscriptions or registrations always come with you know that long contract about terms of use and then in the end you have the button i accept and basically nobody ever i mean the majority of people don't even read that uh terms of use because they just want the solution and they know that even if they don't agree with the terms of use there's not much they can do if they want the app uh, see i am not coming from a position uh, where i want to suppress technology development i am coming from a point of view where i want to increase the awareness level of the consumer because i am myself an app developer but when you are online you cannot guarantee who is a good developer versus a bad developer in terms of the intentions and that's the biggest problem of internet 
that every website can say that they are the number one company mm-hmm. and there is no rule that they cannot say that so we need to standardize some things but i think that's the starting point we need to look at and on that note i think we can finish up <laughs> thank you so much for for your time thank you tiasa have a good day This was the 8th episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health. Stay tuned for more. We will be talking about genetic testing in the next episode and afterwards I look forward to researching blockchain and artificial intelligence implications in healthcare. Do subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or SoundCloud that way you will automatically be informed about new episodes. Stay tuned.